Uh, we will be in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 12 through 26 today. Um, you can find your way there. I'm going to set this up a little bit because we have not been in 1 Corinthians, and I wanted to make sure that we know what we're looking at when we're looking at 1 Corinthians 9 before we start preaching it and applying it. Um, uh, this fall, we've been talking through the DNA uh, of Parkview, uh, keeping with our mission of pursuing Jesus together in everyday life. We fleshed out the DNA traits that we hope are increasingly present in the pursuers of Jesus at Parkview. Uh, they are namely uh, enjoy God's presence, live God's story, love God's people, share God's gifts, and serve God's world. So last week, if you were here, Pastor Doug's task was to speak to our identity as one church. And this week, our campus pastors are to speak to our identities as three campuses through the language of distinctives. And so that's what we'll be doing today is kind of understanding what makes us distinct here. So uh, I want to get into this here a bit. This is going to be a flyover of, uh, of 1 Corinthians 9. I think it's so helpful for us as we get into our text today. So um, 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church struggling with how to worship and live together as Christians in a diverse city. I think it's, it's wonderful that, that the book of 1 Corinthians and then the follow-up scolding letter of 2 Corinthians uh, is given to us. It helps us to understand our situation as we face uh, similar uh, issues and problems uh, and, and, and resolutions today. So here's my quick flyover. If you have a paper Bible, I promote paper Bibles. They're really easy to follow along with when you do a flyover. If you have a phone or whatever, get ready. Your fingers are going to need to be limber for scrolling. Uh, or you can just follow along on the screen. I made it super easy. Uh, okay, here we go. This is the letter to 1 Corinthians in a flyover so we get a sense of what's going on. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, we read, you can put that up on the screen. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So what we get here, Paul is writing to a church in the town of Corinth, or the city of Corinth, and, uh, and there are disagreements. Uh, among them. He is urging them to unity. We read on. This is uh, now in uh, chapter 7, I believe. You can go to the next screen. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So they ended up writing him a letter asking some questions, and now he's clarifying those things in chapter 7. He says, now concerning those things about which you wrote, namely, do we get married? Do we not get married? What can we do as Christians now? How does this all work? Uh, he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. He says, you're going to need to make your own decisions on this because there's a freedom in the law. There are no longer as many regulations on who you marry and how you marry and how this works. There are still some, but there's a freedom. Live the life that the Lord has assigned to him. He goes on to the next point that they write, which doesn't connect to us so much. 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we don't see that so much now, but it was an issue for them uh, because the food offered to the idols for certain reasons was, was not good, but because of Christ, then it's not really that big of a thing. And they're, they're really wrestling with this idea of what do we do now with the common practices we did before? Do I go to the shopping mall? Do I go to, uh, do I go to the sports stadium? Do I do these things now? How do I divide this idea of being a Christian now that life has changed? He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now that you know you have a freedom to do some of these things, and it's not a sin, 
Know that your knowledge could puff you up so that you could go do whatever you want and say, oh, well, Christ covers this. He says, but that's not the point. The point is that you need to lead with love, that your love builds up. And now in chapter 7 through 10 is the unit of thought that we're in when we read our text today. He ends that, so I'll give you the bookend in chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. And he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So this is wonderful. Uh, I'll make sense of this, and then we'll actually drop into our text. I think it, the setup is very helpful. This is a good word for us today, in general as Christians, but also as the people of God gathered under the name Parkview. As one church in three locations, uh, there's a lot of potential for division. Who's the better preacher? Which campus has the better children's ministry? Uh, how does education, race, finances, resources, staffing, programming affect the success and identity of each campus? What's the missional focus of the campus? All of these questions can be surface-level flashpoints uh, of division in our church, and they can be seen by our community. This is where the inspired words of Paul are helpful beyond the surface level. Is he's not dealing with an alignment of staffing or philosophy of ministry or whatever it might be. He's going to the core of this, to the gospel. He's saying our unity comes from the gospel. And we need to remember this, that it may play out a little bit differently in different locations, to different people, in different contexts. And so, for those of you who are part of the Parkview family, this should be pretty helpful for framing up what are we doing and how is it united, but how is it distinct from the others? And for those of you visiting, you're probably wondering what kind of church are we at? And why do they have so much division? We don't really have that much division. It'll be okay. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an attention getter. We'll get there. We'll resolve it. It'll be good. Paul will conclude here, as he does, that the whole point of this uh, in his explanation of, uh, of, of what we do and how we lived as unified people in distinct ways is that we are to be imitators of him but not simply just copy him and what he does, but we're to be imitators of him as he is of Christ. And so Paul sees this in, in, in two ways. He sees this as Christ imitating to him how one should act rightly. He does those things, and now he is a practical expression of how we are to imitate and live rightly as Christians. So if I summarize everything in this huge setup that I've, uh, that I've given here, it's that the people, write to, the people of Corinth, the church of Corinth, writes to Paul, and they say, hey, we've got some problems in the family. We've got some questions. We've got some division. We've got some fighting. We're not quite sure who's right and who's wrong. And Paul responds. He says, yeah, I know you've got problems. It's pretty obvious. He says, with your mind, you must be unified in your faith. With your heart, you must love one another. With your hands, just follow my lead as I follow Christ's. And then Paul gives us, in chapter 9, where we'll be today, he gives us that example. He puts himself up and his rights afforded to him, not simply as a Christian, but as an apostle of Christ. He says, I have some rights, and I've laid those down so that some might be saved for Christ. So the point that we have today, the big message of today's text, is that we are to use our freedom for the glory of Christ and the spiritual benefit of all. So out of everything that we get, that's for everyone. That doesn't mean you don't have to be a part of you. You don't have to know the distinctives. That's what 1 Corinthians 9 is telling us. Use your freedom for the glory of Christ and the spiritual benefit of all. So with that set up, 
I'd ask that we rise out of reverence for God's word, and I will read our text to us today, and then we'll get in and divide the word. I'll pick up here at the end of, of, of verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I have not preached the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have, not made, myself, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win some of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself. And I did this that I might, that, uh, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, run that you may obtain it. Every, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I, may, I, may, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Pray that your spirit would enlighten our hearts and minds that we might receive this word to us today and go from here using our freedom for your glory and the benefit of all. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So that was a lot of work to frame this thing up. I think now we've created some space that we can just talk about it. Use your freedom for the glory of Christ and the benefit and the spiritual benefit of all. So we've got three points here that we're going to go through today. Uh, and I hope that they're pretty simple. I hope that they're pretty pointed uh, so that we can, we can really understand what's happening here. So in the midst of a diverse church, in the midst of a, a diverse world, there is one gospel, and that is of Christ. We are to use our freedom for the glory of Christ and the spiritual benefit of all. Here are the three points, if you're note takers. Three points that we'll pull away from this. In verses 12 through 14, we're going to see that we need to get out of the way. Get out of the way of the gospel of Christ. We'll move from there to verse, uh, in verse 15, we'll start uh, talking about this idea of get humbled. 
Uh, get humbled by your need for forgiveness of sin, and then we'll finish it off when Paul speaks about this focus. So get focused. Get out of the way, get humbled, and get focused. That's our message, our message today. So verse 12, we, uh, we, we, verse 12 starts with nevertheless. We've got it up here on the screen. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. So nevertheless, if we're thinking people, we know that nevertheless means that he doesn't just start with that. He's talking about something before. So what is he talking about? In verses 1 through 11, Paul is saying, I'm an apostle. And I've done a whole bunch of work. And you guys are, the, you guys are proof that my work has been good. I am an apostle and an apostle has rights. I should get paid. I could take a wife. I mean, he says that there. I'm not making that up. Uh, he, he says, I could take a wife. H- how should I be deprived of these things? I have every right that an apostle has. <gasps> Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way. To be clear, Paul, uh, the right that Paul is referring to is his right to get paid as an apostle. It's his right to take a wife as an apostle. It's his wife to live comfortably as an apostle. While we could explore this topic further, and it seems advantageous for me to talk about paying your pastor well, uh, that's not actually the point. Uh, it's just an illustration. Sometimes we get the illustrations and we go off on those. He's just making a point. And his point is that we need to get out of the way for the sake of the gospel. On that note, though, I did just make a, a point. Parkview North, thank you so much. You guys are so wonderful to my family. Like, you do pay us well, whether that's money or love or whatever it is. Thank you so much. You do that. I'm not making a, a vindictive point there. I didn't want to make a joke about that. Thank you so much. We feel very loved. You do that well. Paul's point is that he could do that even more so because he is even better pastor than I am. He is an even better apostle than I am. He is so fantastic. We'll get into Philippians here in January, and he runs down his whole credentials of how amazing he is, and he is amazing. And he says, but that doesn't matter to me. I'm going to get out of the way so that some might know Christ. The point that he is making is that we are to follow his example of not putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul speaks, uh, speaks of his rights afforded by his identity. So here, I'm going to divide this into his identity and his activity. In his rights, he is an apostle. By his position, by his name, by his title, he has a whole bunch of rights to him. That's like if we say president of the United States. You've got a whole lot of rights afforded to you. If you say pastor of this church, you have a whole lot of rights afforded to you. If you are the principal of a school, if you are the superintendent, if you are the boss, if you are the CEO, you have a bunch of rights just to the title, and he has that. He's an apostle. And so he could exercise those rights. But also in his activity, he's doing stuff that's good. In verses 1 through 11, he talks about his work, his workmanship in them. He says, I'm doing a great work in you. He speaks of we. I mean, the verse that we're looking at on the screen. We have not made use of this because he's trained up guys with him and he's speaking with them. We have done this. He does a great job with all of these guys. I think he has a, he has a, a whole bunch of people working with him that are proof that he does a good job. He could exercise rights and say, I'm a pretty fantastic discipler of disciples. But he says, I put that to the side. So there's a why and a so. I think sometimes we can look at Paul and say, you're fantastic. We can look into the Bible and say, what is Christianity supposed to be like? And I could preach you a very Christian message right now and say, well, look at what Paul does. Look at what the church does. Let's be a good Paul and a good church. But my task is not to preach Christianity. My task is to preach Christ. 
And so what does Paul do? He's doing the same thing. Remember verse, chapter 11, verse 1. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why does Paul act this way? Why does he set aside this stuff? Because he's going to later in life, right? Philippians 2. And he's going to say that Christ does this. That though he is the, the triune Godhead, that though he has limitless power, he saw himself not as equal to the Father and so subjected himself, becoming humble, the form of a servant in the likeness of humans. He says, because he had everything at his disposal, but he chose to do this in a humble way. He chose to kill death and pride through his humility. In his identity, he became like us. And that's who I'm imitating. And so, do that. But not simply in his identity, but in his activity. He says, when I look at Jesus, I see what he did then. Because he could have come down as a human. And everyone expected him to come and establish his throne here on earth. They expected him to exact revenge on Satan in a way that we could all see it right then and there. But that's not how he did that. Philippians 2, again, he says, but he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul looks at Jesus and he says, what do I do? I become a servant and I work in obedience. I am a servant and my job is obedience. And Paul is doing that. He says, I have every right to become rich and, be, and have a lavish reward from you. But I have become a servant that my work be obedience. He says, so imitate me. So Parkview North, that's what you do. Get out of the way. You are not the Savior. You are not the reason why people come here. You are a servant, and your work is obedience. I think I, I speak so, so harshly or so, uh, so intensely of this because I guess I'm intense anyway. But uh, one of the reasons is because we, we, we don't have a good uh, idea of this. We have a very mistaken understanding of our rights as Christians now. Now, I could be wrong. I invite, I invite critique on this. I invite conversation on this more so. I think that there are two things that we think we have a right to as Christians that we don't actually have a right to, and the gospel kills all of that. And one of those rights that, that, that we think we have is the right to forgiveness. Uh, and that's really, really difficult. It's really troublesome. You see, we think we have a right that, 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 uh, that as a Christian now, God owes it to me to forgive me. But the reality from Scripture is that we do have a right, and, 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 and those, are, those are pocketed in the, in the language of uh, wages. Uh, there are wages. Uh, someone who works gets wages, and, and those wages are, are their right for the work that they've done. The wages of sin is, oh, man, uh, is death. So we do have rights as people, and those wages that we have rights to are death. So if we're going to talk about the rights we have, uh, it's death. But Paul will later write in life. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive through faith in Christ as a free gift. That's incredible. We don't have the right of life, of eternal life. We don't have the right of, for, of forgiveness. Our misunderstanding of the right of forgiveness, I think, is, is linked increasingly so with our entitled sense of independence. So, we have forgiveness on one side. We have independence on the other. I'll just put this together, and it, and it shows up in this kind of language. 
that we think that we sometimes think, I can now do whatever I want and God will forgive me. There's an entitled sense of independence and forgiveness that needs to be ours. He wants to forgive me, right? His reckless love is after me. And we go on and we sing about this. One of the ways that we do, that we, that we do well to, to, to move towards the gospel from this counter gospel is to get rid of our sense of independence. I mean, Paul is writing to the church and uses we language. He's thinking about ministry in a we sense. We confess our sin together in a we sense. But if we think that we have the right to forgiveness, here's where this goes, is that we think that we can do whatever we want and we just lean on on that forgiveness that's coming right after that. Paul says, I could have every right to do whatever I want. And God would say, okay, you're forgiven. Or you can ask for these things. But he says, I'm going to restrain myself so, that I, so I won't be an obstacle to others. I'll land it here in our daily life. So uh, one of the issues they're dealing with, we deal with. I have every right to drink as much as I want. Nevertheless, using his words, nevertheless, I won't tailgate so hard. <laughs> I have every right to the internet somehow. Nevertheless, I won't go to those sites. I won't use those apps for the glory of God. Uh, here's one that's going uh, to be tough. I have every right to talk poorly of my family over the holidays. Nevertheless, don't judge or slander or gossip. Or withhold forgiveness. Yeah, that's a lot harder when we actually land it here. <laughs> Paul doesn't say this is easy. He actually, like, if he uses language often of his ministry and his life and his Christian walk, he says it's a suffering. <laughs> so you're invited to suffer. Because we are so prideful and we think that we should just have forgiveness, that we can do whatever we want. And as Christians, it's a guaranteed forgiveness, right? It's not. So, what does that look like here? How, are we, how, are we, how does that shape us? How does that feed into our distinctives here? So, knowing that our activity together shapes our identity, one of the Parkview North distinctives is our high regard for the formative power of community. We find that in community, a lot of these things get worked out. We have to realize that not everyone is the perfect speaker and says stupid things sometimes and is sinful and hurtful, and we need to forgive each other pretty quickly. There's a lot of mess that happens when we get together, and that is designed to be that way. So we practice laying down our rights in community. Here are a couple uh, really practical ways in which you'll see this at Parkview North in our distinctives. Uh, potlucks. Potlucks force us to put down our screens, to break down isolation, drawing us towards hospitality. Hospitality, I want to define that because we get that mixed up sometimes. Hospitality is the creation of space for a person to be known. It's not simply having people over. Hospitality is the creation of space for, for, uh, for people to be known. In the potlucks, in about 30 minutes or so, uh, you will sit at a table and you are given the task of hospitality, getting to know people and giving them space to be themselves and knowing it and remembering it and loving it and following up on it. Potlucks do that. We practice this hospitality 
with those we might not have created space for otherwise. That's why we do this. Uh, Another one is uh, what we like to call parenting in the pew. Parenting in the pew breaks down the consumerist entitlement that so often we bring to church this day and age. It's that, that idea that we need, this, we need a Sabbath break from our kids. You know, I think that's one that feels so nice to say. Uh, but it's not really that we need that. But what we do when we parent in the pew or we help others parent in the pew. And if you've got runner kids, I love helping your kids as I parent them right up here when they're not in the pew. Um, no, I love it. Uh, it's this idea that we teach them what Sabbath rest is, that there may be some work, there may be some inconvenience, there may be some screaming, there may be the occasional hauling a child out of here. And that's okay, because Sabbath is not leisure and no work. Sabbath is that perspective getting time of peace and rest where we all together can worship a God who does a good work. And we can look back on the work and delight in that. And so we teach our kids well to show them that there may be some work in the Sabbath. Because it's not just sitting on our butts watching TV. That's a very, very different thing. So another way that we, uh, that we believe in the formative power of community is through the easy one, community groups. They invite us to live beyond the walls of our homes as we share life together, ordered by the word, by care for one another, and mission to the community in which we live. So use your freedom for the glory of Christ and the spiritual benefit of all. The first point in that is get out of the way of the gospel. The second point, and we'll get rolling here, is to get humbled by your need for forgiveness of your sin. So gospel humility is a term that I'll, I'll give it here. Uh, verses 15 through 18 speak to this. It's this gospel humility, the recognizing of our need for forgiveness. So we'll look at this, uh, this text here. This is verses 15, parts of verses 15 and 16. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. I think if we just go really fast, it's, it's kind of confusing. If we slow down what we read, which I always encourage, slow it down. There's great reward in just these few uh, sentences. Paul here is saying, I'm not disqualified of boasting because of my reputation. I'm disqualified by my sin exposed by the gospel of which I must preach. So in these verses, look at this. He says, uh, he says, I am the example. And in that example, I pursue a life, a pure life, and, and a life uh, or and a reputation of holiness that no one can object to. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So on, on a physical level, on a, on, a, on, a, on a human level, on a career resume level, on, on the way his neighbors see him, no one can deprive him of his ground for boasting. They're all going to say, that Paul, he is phenomenal. And I'm not just saying that like I, my tone was wrong there. Uh, he actually is phenomenal. <laughs> he, he, he's an incredible guy. I mean, you think of that guy that you want to be or that guy you most admire. Okay, times 10, that's him. He's phenomenal. He's incredibly smart. He's incredibly compassionate. He knows all these languages. He knows all these cultures. He's like super wise. He's like Steve Jobs and, uh, and uh, um, uh, I don't know, Henry Nowen, Mother Teresa. We'll slam her in there. Uh, kind of all together. And he's this, uh, this, this phenomenal source. He's, uh, he's the best leader you could ever imagine, the most articulate communicator you could ever imagine. And that's him. No one's going to deny him his grounds for boasting. They're going to be, I mean, to quote Justin Timberlake, why would I do that right now? I'm going there now. 
It says, uh, is it cocky if it's true? Paul had that. No one can deny him his grounds for boasting. He says, but what does? For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. Because no matter how good I am, no matter how excellent I am at my work, and you should, Christians, go be excellent in your work. No matter how good we are at that, no matter how phenomenal we are at being parents, no matter how phenomenal we are at being friends or brothers or sisters, no matter how good we are at being, being neighbors, the gospel tells us that we are sinners. And that denies us the grounds for boasting. I am not the Savior. I don't have your answers. Christ is that answer. And that's what denies us our grounds for boasting. I'm not Jesus. I'm not it. I'm just a guy who's trying really hard to tell you about the gospel. That's our approach. If we follow the example of, of Paul, that is the example we're giving. To get humbled by our need for forgiveness. So knowing that activity shapes our identity, one of the Parkview distinctives is, that, is our high regard for the formative power of confession. So we practice boasting humbly in a God who is able and willing to forgive us our sins. And here are ways that you'll see this at Parkview North. Corporate confession, you've just done this. We, we corporately confess to a most merciful God. If we don't have a most merciful God, then we come groveling that we don't get smoked by God. Or, or great, here's a great church word, we get smoted by God, smited, smoted. Help me with this later. That we don't come and say, I'm awful. Don't destroy me. That's part of it. But he offers that hope there. He's most merciful. We can come to him confidently because of his mercy. Now, here's, here's something I dug out and dust, dusted off. I made this, I don't know, this is a couple of years ago I, I hung this up here. This is what I think is one of our things that we, uh, I love this, this uh, I've had it hung up in my office. I've hung it up here before. This is, I don't know if you can see it, there we go. Uh, this is a sign that I think encapsulates the approach that we need to have here, get humbled. Sinners, welcome. This is a sign I'd love to hang out there on the, on the front door. I feel like the news would take pictures and then I'd be like in the, media and you never want to be there. Um, sinners, welcome. It acknowledges that we're all sinners. It acknowledges that we're all welcome. Another way that we do this, this idea of sin, we make a huge deal of sin, is what I would call the enacted salvation story. We live out, uh, we're very participatory here. We're living out this story that we are called to Christ that we confess our sins, we're forgiven, the word instructs our lives, we pray together, we pray individually, we offer thanksgiving and giving and receive, and we're sent out. We go through this trajectory of the gospel with sin right in there. We make a big deal of sin, but we see that it's not the only thing. Because the sign doesn't say sinners condemned, because that's not the gospel. That's only part of the gospel. The sinners welcomed, that I might save some for Christ. Now, I wish I could hang this up here, but I didn't think to put a hook on the podium. So if you want to see it, you can uh, look at it some more, but I'll put it down here now. But we also don't stay on the idea that we are sinners because verses 17 and 18 take us to the beauty of the other side of it. Verse 17 and 18, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am... I am entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? 
that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Okay, I'll translate that. And I think I could say this uh, as I'm imitating Paul here. What Paul is telling the people is, you're not saved because I'm really good at preaching and know a lot about theology and the Bible. You're not saved because you have really good pastors shepherding you. Our reward is not in being awesome and having an awesome church. Our reward is that we are all stewards of the gospel. And if we rightly divide the word of God and we take that to people in truthful and loving ways, there's our reward. Is that we have given people the hope, not that they are sinners, but that there is forgiveness of their sin. And when we take that there, that's what he says. That this is my stewardship that I have been entrusted with. And what's my reward? That I may present the gospel free of charge. It's not by works so that no man may boast. It is the free gift of God. So use your freedom for the glory of Christ and the spiritual benefit of all. So get over yourself. Get out of the way. Get humbled. And the last one here is get focused. So what is the work? We've done deconstruction for the last two points. Now we have something like, okay, what do we do? What are we going to do now with our freedom? In verses 19 through 27, he tells us this focus. That Christian freedom is not aimless. Rather, it is guided by self-control and discipline. So verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. If you go to the next slide here, uh, the idea that I might win some. I'm going to read this and emphasize the goal. He is clearly defining the goal. For though I am free from all, I have not made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. You kind of get the the rhythm here. It should be nauseating at this point. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. That's our point. What do we do now that we have been freed? Our freedom comes from the freedom of the law. The freedom that that we had death on us because the law says wages of sin is death. What do we do with that freedom now? We work that we might win some. And so how uh, how do we reach that goal? He says that's going to take discipline. That's going to take laser beam focus on this. And I love that he brings in this language of athletics. I mean, before he says, I'm working really, really hard. Uh, earlier in chapter, chapter 9, he says, I'm working really hard. I'm working like a, a farmer. And Iowans appreciate that and say, you better believe it. Uh, uh, he says, I'm working like a soldier. But here he says, I have that focus and discipline of an athlete. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it for a perishable wreath, but we do it for an imperishable. And don't run aimlessly. Don't box as one beating the air. Discipline your body. Keep it under control. Lest after your preaching, you may be disqualified. 
Like you think, I remember seeing one of the Olympians years ago, um, speed skater, Apollo Antoine Ono. Uh, He's a speed skater and he he like slips and falls and he's supposed to win the gold medal. And then he went to this like like psycho uh, uh, training. Like for four years, all he did was the skating. He's like, I'm going to win the gold. I'm going to win the gold. I'm going to win the gold. And like, that's all he did, like to a detrimental side. Uh, But just this focus. I mean, you see that. All those Olympians, they have stories like this. Like they have that focus. That's what makes them. They're good and they're athletes, but they have that dedication that's far beyond everybody else. And they're just nuts about that. Or if maybe you know someone who, uh, who in, your, in your career, or you know someone who, uh, maybe you have students that you, that you worked with or, or whatever, that have this laser beam focus of getting things done, and just that's it. That's all that focus is. He says, that's what your freedom in Christ should be. You have freedoms, so you don't have to worry about filling all the law. Not it's like, oh, everything's wide open. You do whatever you want. He says, you have these freedoms, so don't worry about the law. Now focus on Christ and him known. Focus so much so that some people might know Christ. And as you're focusing on him, let him be all that is in your words. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says that, that all I knew to you was the gospel. And he says, so when, you, so when you're talking to that lady who's having a hard time with her marriage, you hear the gospel in that and you focus in on that part. When you hear someone who's struggling, uh, struggling with, uh, with, with, with an addiction, you focus on the gospel in that addiction and you give them that. Not shame on you. Go away from this. What's wrong with you? When you have someone in your family with, who, with whom you're struggling with, and there's anger, and there's fighting, there's quarreling, you focus on the gospel there. And that's how we pursue this goal. Get focused on the goal, he says. How do we do that here at, uh, at Parkview North? We do that through our belief in the formative power of rhythms. So I already referenced this idea of of the shape of our Sunday mornings. I really view the shape of our Sunday mornings as one of two things. If you're an athlete, we'll go with drills. Uh, If you are a musician or whatever, uh, we're going to go with scales. We are are creating a habit of the gospel in doing these things. So uh, so when I was a horrible third-string receiver in eighth grade, which means you never play, um, and I didn't play, and I got pneumonia from the rainy game. That was a horrible year for me. Um, but, but what we did is I remember time and time again going through the drills. How do you, you know, run this route and catch the ball? You know, take this many steps, turn the ball, should be there. And uh, I never got it, obviously, third string. But I got the concept of what they were going for. And so you go over and over and over and over and over again so that you don't even think about it. I play drums, so the music side's a little bit more for me. I didn't do scales. I did a thing drummers call scales rudiments. Um, and so we, we, we would sit there in drumline camp for eight hours straight playing the rudiments and just playing the same thing. So that my, my hands and my muscles, even now I'm doing it, I'll stop. Uh, they, they, they have these twitches in them that I can actually play certain things without even thinking about it. Um, maybe if you've played piano or any other instrument, you've done scales so much that you don't even think about it. The shape of Sunday morning and the repetition, the rhythm that we have to it, the fact that we may be saying words over and over and over and over again, is so that we have that second nature habit of the gospel. What do I do when I mess up? I've got some words for confession. What do I do if I need to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, we have something there. How how do I know what I'm supposed to do after Sunday? Well, go. You've been sent in the name of the Spirit. 
How do I know why I need to be at church? Are we just showing up for this or that? You've been called. So we get these rhythms here and we do them over and over again. Use your freedom for the glory of Christ and the spiritual benefit of all. We've seen, as Paul, uh, as Paul uh, describes this, and I've kind of reworded this, that we do this when we uh, get out of the way, when we get humbled, and when we get focused on the gospel. That's what shapes our life as Christians in general, but also is helpful for us understanding our distinctives as a campus. 1 Corinthians 9 helps us explain some of the Parkview North distinctives and the formative power of community, of confession, and of rhythms that are all shaped by the gospel. But even more than that, what I hope you take home most today is that 1 Corinthians 9 urges all of those who believe to lay down their preferences assume, uh, and their assumed rights and to use your freedom for the glory of Christ and the spiritual benefit of all. 